Hold on, weren't you about to do something interesting there and make a bigger meta-commentary on the nature of what it means no, to cooperate? No. Trad no. waifu. Trad waifu. It's always been trad waifu. It will always be trad waifu. We will only have trad, wa <laughs> trad waifu. Hello. 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 That's just going to be my thing from now on. I guess it is. I am Raghava, my pronouns are them theirs. And I'm Mo, he, him, his. And welcome, or perhaps even better, welcome back to the Critical Weeb Theory Podcast. The first and foremost podcast made by Mo Black and Raghava. That kind of makes it sound like we have more podcasts. Show where are the podcasts? Where are the hidden podcasts? I've planted three podcasts around the city. And you have you have one hour to diffuse them all. Wait, is podcasting just capitalism monetizing our conversations? Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave that in. I'm going sure to did. leave that in. That's really good. Um Yeah, so welcome to the Critical Weeb Theory Podcast, the podcast that aims to put all the politics in all the anime. We have a brand new podcast, and you know what you're supposed to do with brand new podcasts? Uh, talk about cool shit? I was going to say, talk about something that only we have ever been interested in, and that is not popular at all. Oh, yes, definitely. That will, that will be great for um, the algorithm. Let's yep. do it. Darwin's Game is a winter 2020 anime. Remember that? It was like right before the world started, like, you know. It aired like, I think it, it did in fact finish airing before like COVID became a real thing, which feels like an eternity ago, uh, aside from being an anime that released before the world started to end, or rather before everyone realized that the world was in the process of ending for the past since capitalism was invented. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> That's another lame joke I have to keep in there. Um, Darwin's Game is a show that stars Kaname Sudo. Oh, a, he's like an average high schooler, right? He's a high schooler on the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum. Mm -hmm. And it features this thing called Darwin's Game a game people play from their mobile phones that involves a bunch of children killing each other. It's like if you could download Hunger Games on the App Store. Yeah, and at base, I don't think that's entirely a novel concept. Mm -hmm. But the other thing Darwin's game is, sometimes, is about social Darwinism. It's in the title. And right. When Darwin's Game is good, it is talking about how competition is bullshit, survival of the fittest is not how that goes, and actually it's better if we cooperate instead of resorting to quote-unquote law of the jungle type, we should all be at each other's throats. Mm -hmm. And when Darwin's Game is that show, it's really good. The problem is that Darwin's Game is also a show that has run out of ideas, and so it relies on tropes. A lot. What I like to do sometimes is uh, walk you guys through 
what exactly it is that is like going through my mind as I watch the show. And Darwin's game, uh, even though I first saw it at the, be- at the beginning of the year with Ragava, like the experience of watching the first episode of Darwin's game is like seared into my mind even now. We start inside the game, right? Uh, there's there's an unknown, you know, you start in Medias Rest with a, uh, with a, uh, with a young man who's like trying to escape what seems to be um, like he seems to be a murderer in a panther suit mm-hmm. with a he the the panda has the power to like disappear and come back and um it's not like our um temporary protagonist doesn't have powers he's it's pretty strong to himself but like um this panda just seems invincible and he's like charging at him with the knife uh and uh he calls for help on his phone with this app called Darwin's Game to uh, our real protagonist, uh, Kanme Sudo, uh, right before uh, he gets just eliminated by uh, this panda. Uh, it, usually starting with like a kind of uh, chaotic, uh, violent uh, first episode is like, I mean, first scene, my bad, is it can be sort of lazy, but this one does grab your attention. For the time being, it's it's not like original, but it is like yeah okay, um, th- it's serviceable. Then later, uh, like I said, we're introduced to Kaname Sudo, and he's talking about how his friend sent him like a weird link to a mysterious app. Um, then uh, one of their other friends, Hamada, comes in and he's like, Kaname, Kaname, my dude, my pal, don't don't download the app, don't click the link. Don't doubt, and he's like, "Whoa, I want to click the link." Kaname talks at the start about how he wants a new bike, and he notes that both of his friends, Hamada, who says, "Don't download the Darwin's Game app," and his other friend, who just died, we know, recently bought a new app, a new bike, with money, and he asks if it was from a part-time job. Mm-hmm. This is the first indication that Darwin's game is maybe going to do something interesting because it talks, and as we learn later, winning or being good at Darwin's game earns you real world money. Right. Also, as we learn, is that there are other characters who have joined Darwin's game for the money. And if you think about it, it is the first of Darwin's games I'm going to call criticisms of capitalism. That's Those are strong words. But when Darwin's game is good, that is what it is. Mm-hmm. It is talking about how, under capitalism, joining a death game to earn some extra cash is kind of what you have to do. Or capitalism creates the conditions under which uh, average everyday people think that it's rational to join an incredibly dangerous, incredibly exhilarating uh, death game uh, if it means being able to pay medical bills, being able to pay housing, or like higher um, higher needs, like being able to to buy the things that you want to buy and fund the the projects or fund the fund the dreams that you want to that you want to fund. Right, and I think it's. It comes to one of our first disappointments with Darwin's game is that in spite of introducing such an 
interesting high concept idea. It then goes to Kaname. Why not? And he hits the button like an idiot when the, the framing of the show doesn't quite work. Yeah. Kaname joining the clicking the app because he was under the impression that it could like make him money would immediately tie these two scenes together. I want a part-time job. Um, I want to get a new bike. And, oh, hey, look, an app that does this. But the the show, it seems to not realize this, this question is there. Um, so it has Kaname kind of um, act thoughtlessly for much of the episode just to move the plot along. Um, he's told several times, uh, don't join the app. When you join the app, make sure to talk to me. Make sure you don't do anything with the app yet until I tell you this or that. And he just he just steamrolls past all of that. The app has like a holographic magic snake thing that gives him a sigil. Or I guess how the dub pronounce it is sigil. There's a scene with him in the hospital that we're going to forget and then. Or rather, we're going to brush by it because it's not super relevant. And then we get to the next interesting segment is when Kaname is on the train mm-hmm. and the guy with the panda costume from four banda the mascot the comes ma- in <laughs> the sports to, mascot banda and is holding a knife and there's this really funny scene and it's 100 not on purpose where banda walks right up to kaname holding a knife and kaname is like hey what's up Banda attacks him with a knife. (laughs) He's like, whoa, you almost hit me. (laughs) (laughs) Then he jumps out of the train, and there's a great line called, I guess Banda kills people now? (laughs) Right. He's like running away, running through the train station. And like, there's this dude, there's this dude in a panda costume with a knife running. And people are like, ooh, is the local sports team having a having a a, a sponsored event? <laughs> this is not really related to the political themes of Darwin's game, but it is very funny. It it is it is our personal meme. Should we have a banda emote? I'm pretty sure we should right. have a banda emote in the Discord. Yeah. Um so one thing I want to comment on is one thing we want to do here as a part of critical weep theory is not pretend that shows are any greater than they are. I'm yeah. not going to act like the guy in a panda costume is a metaphor for the bourgeoisie. Because <laughs> it's not. It's just a, guy in a, sure panda it's costume. just a guy in a panda costume. And it is, like, seriously intimidating for a while. Mm-hmm. But in later episodes, don't they just admit, yeah, that guy was kind of a, he was kind of a weirdo. He just dressed up in a panda costume because he likes it. Yeah. No one is... else is like this in Darwin's game. <laughs> Everyone else is like this in Darwin's game. What are you talking about? Exactly. Anyway, there's a bit of a chase scene. Um, Kaname Suda's friend Hamada, that's the mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. yeah, he gets involved and he tries to protect Kaname, who's like a newbie from uh, a stabby stab banda guy. Um, and along the way, Kaname learns that uh, Darwin's game is essentially a game in which people can challenge each other to death matches. And either um, the person who was challenged lets the timer run out, or one of the two people surrender, or somebody needs to kill someone else in order for the game to end. Well, uh, Kaname doesn't know that surrender is an option yet. 
Right, quite yet. And so there's a chase sequence that ends with Banda getting hit by a car. Mm-hmm. Which is also interesting, if only because it's hilarious. Right, <laughs> it, it's it's hard to describe, but the car the tension, the, the tension of this fight is actually pretty well done because Kaname is like learning everything he can about this game on the fly. His phone is basically disabled while the game is around. Um, his his friend is like bleeding because he got stabbed, and there's like all this sort of like high tension stuff. And then while the panda is like invisible, they're like in a in a parking garage. Like another car comes in and just smacks the dude. I'm not even sure you would be driving that fast in a parking garage, but just <laughs> Banda just goes flying. <laughs> and since he's invisible, all uh, the normal people who are like not part of Darwin's game, they're like, "Whoa, did you hit something? I don't know." And they just kind of like drive away. <laughs> I I've. I've yet to really see Car X Machina deployed uh, in anime, but here here we are. As Banda dies, there's a really cool monologue in which he starts laughing maniacally, and he's like, this was way better than doing my dead-end job. In a sense, the exhilarating rush of murder provided an outlet that wasn't there by late-stage capitalism. Mm-hmm. It's also worth noting that during this entire chase scene, Kaname sends out a message to this other person, player, Shuka, or rather, this other player, Shuka, messages him, and he asks for help, and she sort of refuses him. Right. She's, um, it turns out she's waiting to see who will win the fight against Banda, and, be, you know, because of Karex Machina, uh, Kaname Sudo does win the fight. And so she's like, oh, interesting. Wiggles eyebrows suggestively. There's another great scene following this where Kaname returns to his apartment and realizes that Darwin's game has a gotcha function. Mm -hmm. And he hits the button on the gotcha function and it delivers a gun to him. (laughs) And he opens it up and he's like, ah. I hate this game. He's like, a gun. I hate this game. (laughs) But again, this is another example of why Darwin's Game Episode 1 is the best episode of Darwin's Game. Because it's literally using the predatory monetization of gotcha games to fuel a death match. And Mm -hmm. if Darwin's Game was this show more often, by which I mean... If it was the show ever again after episode one, it might actually have been good. Alas, that is not the timeline. That is not the timeline in which we live. So then we move on to Kaname reaches out to the girl who messaged him earlier, Shuka, and she asks him to meet at an abandoned warehouse. And Kaname is at first justifiably suspicious because mm-hmm. he's sort of got an understanding of Darwin's game and is like, well, I don't want to die. But then he realizes that he needs knowledge more than he's willing to risk his safety for knowledge. And this creates one of many interesting tensions where Kaname is like, do I trust Shuka? I guess I have to. Right. 
Um, what would make this meeting a lot better is if we understood what Shuka had to gain from meeting Kaname. It, we're kind of told that she's interested in him, but she's really, really strong herself and doesn't really seem like the type of person who wants or needs uh, teammates. Um, it kind of feels like we dragged Shuka into the into the story because we needed um, like a heroine, right? Like like a like a female lead, um, and that gets more clear in just a sec. Um, but for the time being, they meet, and uh, Shuka asks uh, Kaname what his uh, sigil is. Now, as we we sort of got introduced to them a little bit before. But everyone who download, downloads Starwind's game gets bit, and when they get bitten, they have they get all sorts of weird and different powers. Yeah, and Kaname. Well, okay, let's. I want to start talking about the meeting with Shuka again because what I want to highlight about the meeting with Shuka is this idea of trust that occasionally comes up in Darwin's game. And what's going on is Shuka doesn't trust Kaname. And Kaname tries to earn her trust only for it to be revealed that he has a weapon on him. Kaname doesn't really understand what his sigil is. And for some reason, unknown to him at the time, uh, the app won't tell him what his sigil is. Uh, she's like, well, if you can't tell me what your sigil is, I guess I have to kill you. And then there's this whole other fight scene. She's like um, Spider-Manning with like these two big metal chains around the room trying to kill. It's it's a pretty well-directed fight scene. And he's like desperately trying to figure out what his sigil is so that he can find a way to beat this very strong, um, seemingly very upset uh, adversary. And then it turns out that his sigil is just a ripoff of Shiro Emiya from Fate. He can make weapons when we how come he can make pens <laughs> okay this doesn't make sense okay so um earlier in the episode uh the in the in the nurse scene that we kind of glossed over uh, we're kind of led to believe that uh Kaname's powers are duplication because he accidentally makes a second uh he needs to sign a form to get released from the nurse and when he can't find the pen, he accidentally makes a second pen, right? But then later we learn that his sigil is crafting weapons, right? Like forging them. Is a pen a weapon? I know when I was in school and I was like a little kid, uh, the school handbook said a pen could be a weapon if you poked someone with it. But I'm not really sure. <laughs> I'm not really sure school guidelines are exactly what we... Uh, what we think of when we think about how powers work it's weird it's like okay imagine you have like a photo that you took and you print it out right on one hand and then you order a really nice frame from amazon on the other hand right and so you have a photo and you have like a like a like a frame and it's like are you gonna put the photo in the frame but then you just use duct tape to like duct tape the, the the photo onto the wall and you throw the frame in the trash and you're like why that that's what darwin's game feels like comfortable uh, like not comfortable what it feels like all the time you have one piece that could be solid you have another piece that could be solid there's a really obvious way to connect these two pieces to make something good 
and then it it it, it just kind of no it, it refuses there's a really cool fight and at the end he like kind of jumps her and like the music swells and it's like the, the I, i'm pretty sure the the composer for um this show also did the music for fire force so if you're into that soundtrack it's like it's really solid shuka basically says there's no way out of darwin's game but to kill me to which kaname says no that's bullshit and she insists a lot that this is exactly what's happened um this is exactly what's going on but then it turns out after all of what darwin's game says about the rules of darwin's game that those are actually false that it turns out that there was no need to kill other people at all and that in fact you can just agree to cooperate and peacefully surrender to each other that's a key idea behind Darwin's game. It's the closest thing that Darwin's game has to an idea that it follows up on consistently. This idea that if people are killing each other in Darwin's game, it's because the people who watch Darwin's game like to see people kill each other, and we'll get to that. Or the participants of Darwin's game have yet to realize that there is an alternative. Right, that's the key. Um, I, I think, ch- I was about to say they choose to kill each other, but that's not... It's a choice in which um, the other option has kind of been obscured by, like, content. And this is something that comes up later in which the show's best character, Plant Guy. Yeah, Hiragi Ichiro. He's he's introduced a couple episodes uh, into the show, and essentially his deal is that he has um, a niece who has a terminal illness, and... He joins Darwin's game to pay off the medical bills for her illness. And uh, because of that, and because he, he cares a lot about her, her niece, um, he, he feels as though the only way to survive Darwin's game, such that uh, he can, you know, keep his niece alive, is to kill people. So when he meets Kaname, there's a little bit of that tension um, as they both, like, naturally distrust each other. But then over time, he he kind of learns and realizes that it was much more effective to uh it was much more effective for him to work with other people um and much more effective to not kill people but like solve the tasks of Darwin's game um than it was doing what he did See, this is like an incredibly incredibly powerful character with like very with like a very cool power set he can basically surround himself with like um plants and leaves and he like fights with them it's 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 a very cool character who does not does not survive it's it's a damn shame because as dar as um plant guy is introduced we understand that he's misguided and he's misled and he's really interesting and you hope that he comes back and is a consistent presence in the show because he's incredibly compelling and then he dies after shuka and kaname both sort of come to an accord and they sort of decide, hey, let's not kill each other. Kaname passes out, right? Yeah, Kaname is the one who passes out. Shuka says, all right, I'll obey you. That was kind of the ice. She says, I'll do whatever you say. Everyone is taken out of this scene, 
where these two are having some sort having like a mutual trust moment and they are immediately made to realize that everything is terrible about this show right like we immediately went from hey let's trust each other and work together to um i'm a girl so i guess i'll do whatever you say and before you say is that not an exaggeration mo are you not projecting um your political biases onto a show no 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 (laughs) no 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 that's what she says uh after that scene it's really bad uh when when they wake up uh like kaname is like in bed and like shuka's like on top of her and naked for no reason whatsoever and then she's like kaname can you start a family with me and it's terrible and it is so awful but another example of darwin's game being like oh hold on weren't you about to do something interesting there and make a bigger meta commentary on the nature of what it means to cooperate trad waifu trad waifu it's always been trad waifu it will always be trad waifu we will only have trad (laughs) trad waifu that's the I, I, I think the worst part, episode two, which I think I think that's the worst episode of Darwin's game, because it undoes fucking everything that you thought you liked about episode one. But episode two starts out with Kaname, why are you naked? <laughs> and then uh Shuka's like, Well, I was I was tired and, 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 and too lazy to put on pajamas. <laughs> the thing about her starting a family was really about her starting like a guild, so that was just like trad waifu bait and then she says um the man should take the lead on things which is please stop and then they go to the mall where she like picks out dresses and like does her makeup and shit and it's like hey 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 did you know did you know that shuka shuka like 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 the character the character that you see like in a dress with like pigtails like, like that character yeah did you know she's a girl holy shit guys she's a girl she's doing make she's doing girly things she's taking too long at the mall this is what it means to be female if you watch the show you'll basically see that there's like two shukas right there's a shuka that's interesting like the one that like wants to get revenge for her family through darwin's game uh the one who uh, just wants like a place to belong. Who wants to be able to trust people because she has serious fucking trust issues. There's that one who you want to see. And there's also like trad waifu. Like the, the girl who you've seen in every other anime who's just there to be pretty and to support the man and kind of make it feel like this is what it's supposed to be like to be married. Right? And trad waifu has nothing to do with the character that is that is um described on screen textually trad waifu only exists because shuka was written from like an essentialist point of view like as if um because she is a female lead she must have trad waifu scenes and um the idea that you can like write a male lead and a female lead without these kinds of interactions seems to entirely have left the conversation when we talk about Darwin's game. It is a problem Darwin's game has that continues to be a problem for the entire show. So Darwin's game is a bad show. Why are we talking about Darwin's game? We've both said, you've heard Raghava say, 
um, that Darwin's game's main problem is that it it runs out of ideas really early. Um, and that's kind of an extension of the real point that we want to drive home, which is that reactionaries can't write good stories. And that seems like a like a strong, almost uh, divorced take from like reality. Uh, but it's it's true, and it's true in Darwin's game, in the sense that when you write things that are reactionary, you write things entirely from uh, two mindsets. First, a hyper-individualist mindset. It's a mindset in which, um, at worst, the only thing that matters is the, the main central character. And because of this, um, every other character kind of warps and bends to fit the needs of uh, the, the main character. Because in a reactionary worldview, in an individualist worldview, um, you are the main character of your own story, right? Groups don't exist. Society doesn't exist. It's you and the people around you who are useful to you because they bring some benefit to you and you bring some benefit to them. And that's why you're friends. Um, interacting on a stage where you want what's best for yourself, um, everyone and everything else be down. And so when you write like that, um, like you'll notice that like stuff is just like missing from the world, right? Like key details, key ideas, key, key things that would make watching or reading or experiencing the story interesting, just gone because of the, um, the worldview of the, of the writing. The second thing about it is that, um, reactionary writing, it's, it's a bit contradictory. Um, people are atomized into individuals but all these individuals fit some archetype or other and must follow that archetype. You'll hear um, some of like, even in the YouTube space, some of the, some of the people who go on about objectively good and objectively bad stories. And they talk about how like the hero's journey is like an objectively good framework in which if you follow the hero's journey correctly, you write a good show. And if you do not follow the hero's journey, then you write a bad show. Just to real quick talk about that, any ideas of objective good or objective evil, like the hero's journey or alternatively this idea of white Western music theory are fundamentally white supremacist in nature because they right. take a pattern that exists in some work, they assert that it's good, and they work backwards from there. This is a sort of problem with any sort of anti-materialist way of thinking because you start from the conclusion that the hero's journey is the way in which stories are written and then mm. you work backwards and you set and you start judging shows or stories based on how closely they ascribe to the hero's journey and then you arrive at the conclusion that anything that doesn't follow the hero's journey is wrong and an example i would give is this idea of, say, you wanted to talk about the best animal, and your favorite animal was a cat. And so you were like, okay, I, my best animal categories are it has four legs, fur, small enough to fit in my lap, whiskers, related to lions, but not a lion, right? Those are your categories for deciding what the best animals are. Obviously, if you use that framework or standard of thinking, then you're going to find out that, oh, 
Wait, only cats are objectively what good. a surprise it turns out that the cat was the best animal i used my objective criteria to determine that cats were the best animal you might say well what does that have to do with darwin's game well consider what the expectations are for what a good anime is consider how much of an expectation there is to have a waifu to have a dominant kind of male lead who like takes charge and is uh, like above the other characters and as we find out from or like this idea of a tsundere is oftentimes people's top waifu every time and it is when we start interrogating why are these standards in place why is shuka today right why did she have to fall for kaname and when you start thinking about it a lot right the story starts to make a lot more sense if Shuka actually dislikes Kaname, or is at the very least wary of him for a while. And the story works better if she if he earns her trust and like because her story is about learning to trust people. And so you have a character like that. And then why was it decided that she should like the protagonist? Well, it wasn't a conscious decision. It was working from the same sort of abstract framework that a lot of other shows work from. That a good anime is an anime in which the cute female lead falls in love with the male. And it's like and it and it's um it's really evident in shows like Darwin's game that would be much, much better if they just didn't do that. The the ultimate thing about reactionary um writing is that because um Every individual must follow an archetype, and every story must follow an archetype of what a good story is. Um, a lot of times you'll like write people and write situations that are interesting and good, and they'll just be like crammed into some box that we've seen before. Like they'll be hammered with a hammer that only works in specific situations, if any. The other thing to note about Darwin's Game is that Darwin's Game is sort of a manifestation of capitalist realism. Darwin's Game is a show that understands the flaws of capitalism. If it didn't understand the flaws of capitalism, it wouldn't talk about the ways in which poverty and a lack of finances pressure people into making decisions they otherwise wouldn't. It wouldn't talk about how cooperation is better than competition if it didn't understand that competing with each other is not the right way and is not the most efficient way to guarantee a healthy and um, happy life. But where Darwin's game sort of falls apart is that it doesn't really consider that there might be another way because it doesn't really it falls into the trap of reproducing the same sort of problems that it already had yeah it's on you you have um on the one hand a lot of these little tidbits and a lot of these little um scenes that are like really compelling and they like get not just at the core of like why capitalism is bad but just more generally at the core of why life can be like frustrating for a lot of average everyday people but then because it doesn't have um the insight to criticize systems and to criticize to criticize like the fundamental relationships between people it kind of it falls flat on its own promises a lot that that thing i said about 
um, the the frame and the picture is not just with um, Kaname's powers. It's also about like the thematic underpinnings of the show. There's a critique that Raghavan and I often get when we uh, try to bring leftist analysis to uh, to various shows, various um, media, and it's that um, SJWs, leftists, whatever you want to call it, um, they don't care about the show being good or bad. They just care about the show agreeing with um, our politics. Um, I mainly hear this from the right, like active, like militant right-wingers in media spaces, but I also hear this um, quite a bit from the left as well. Um, it's not necessary to name names and start drama, but there is definitely like a contingent of the left that thinks that uh, the only thing that matters in life is um, uh, reading uh, reading capitalist realism and reading Capital like 500 times and then, I don't know, saying that uh, you should organize and then not actually organizing, just telling other people that you are smarter than them because you organize. Um uh, to those people, I, I, I have to say, um, Darwin's game kind of shows you uh, how both, like, I guess you want to say the quality, like the subjective quality of a show, and how um, the political criticism of the show are, are intertwined, in that when you are aware of, like, systems in your stories, and when you are aware of, like, the, the ideological tint of your stories... Um, you're able to write better stories, more enjoyable stories, more meaningful stories, because there's an entire dimension of, of storytelling that you just get. And there's an entire dimension that you can use to, to communicate with people, not just like politically, but like emotionally, spiritually. And that's kind of, um, if there's one thing that, uh, this podcast can kind of like, uh, communicate, ironically, I think it's, it's that. It's like, our not just when we say everything is political it's not just every show is political but like our lives are political the way we interact with each other are political and the political is also personal you cannot meaningfully talk about the way in which darwin's game falls apart the way in which it's over-reliance on pre-existing tropes of kneecaps the narrative or perhaps even more obviously the way in which its sexism operates without also talking about its politics. Because the way in which it's, the reason its sexism is there is because of the fact that it is expected that any female character in a show must like the main male protagonist. I just, the, I guess the, the bottom line is that and I think something that shouldn't be too surprising is that if you write a sexist story, right, one in which all the women are like one dimensional, like sexualized objects, um, what you've done is you've made a large part of your cast one dimensional, boring tropes that nobody wants to watch. And if you write a feminist story, one in which um, women and, you know, anyone of any kind of um, uh, sexual and gender orientation like are able to be whole ass people with stuff going on you've written a whole ass story with interesting things that are happening that even if you want to um, enjoy things from a non-political dimension 
uh, still shine through from from that angle. The last thing I wanted to bring up in relation to Darwin's game is something that I think will show up in future episodes. Um, and it's an idea that I've kind of taken to calling uh, anime individualism. I think this is a temporary name until I do a little bit more research about like um, the development of like political ideology in Japan and like how that may or may not affect this idea. But for now, it's just called anime individualism because it's a kind of individualism that I've seen in a lot of shows. And essentially, how anime individualism works, it's this idea that we are critis we are vaguely aware that systems in power are a failing. They're either failing, they're corrupt, they they hurt people, but we don't do class analysis and we don't do any like left-wing analysis whatsoever. We just kind of know that governments are corrupt, um, businesses are corrupt, um, organized religion can be corrupt. Um, societies can be corrupt and stuff like that. And so we kind of look at all these things. What do governments, businesses, organized religion, and societies all have in common? Well, they're all collectives. They're all made up of more than one person, right? And so then we kind of come to the conclusion that uh, groups of people are bad, <laughs> And that individuals are good, in which um, the only way to beat corruption is to atomize society to the point in which everyone just has themselves, like a close group of people that they take care of, and everyone just kind of um, does what's best for them. And then in the end, um, it'll work out because everyone is just uh, everyone is just doing what's best for themselves. Um, the the most stark example of this um, is uh, in the Rising of the Shield Hero. Uh, long story, I, I do have essays on that if you're interested. But essentially, it's a show about a slave owner that kind of runs around being persecuted by the church, and he has these two slaves who were told he loves uh, and wants to protect. Um, and he's like been summoned to another world. Uh, in the RPG video game inspired world, it's an isekai, you know. Um, and so the how the show treats um, the protagonist Naofumi is essentially he is entirely self interested, and because he is self interested, whenever he helps others, he he ends up helping people more by being self interested than his peers who help people out of solidarity. So um, real quickly, he he shows up to a starving village and he uses his powers to make a plant that can um, uh, solve uh, hunger, basically, because it grows very fast uh, and it can be harvested very fast. Um, but because um, the village is poor and it can't afford the rate that he wants to sell it to, to them, he sells them to rich merchants instead. And we're told that because he sold it to rich merchants, the merchants are able to, in and of themselves, do what's best for themselves and then proliferate the, the, the food where it needs to be, right? Or, for example, um, and uh, on the reverse, some of his other friends, they go, um, they like, for example, they topple a king because they want to free people from oppression. But because they did that selflessly, now an even worse dictator is in power overseas because they didn't 
do it uh, in a way that benefits themselves. Uh, just a real quick comment. Uh, this is in contrast to the way things happen to work in the real world where uh, people tend to coup democratically elected socialists out of self-interest and that's what results in the worst, crueler dictator being installed. Exactly. Like, anime individualism is kind of incapable of understanding why things happen in real life. Uh, a softer, Another softer example of this is also in Fire Force. Uh, Fire Force is kind of ideologically messy. Um, but uh, in Fire Force, there are companies that are corrupt. Um, the Empire is corrupt. Um, the Fire Force um, individual, like the firefighting brigades, are all corrupt. The only people who are not corrupt are like the main character, his friends, some other people who work as individuals to just understand the truth by themselves and beat corruption by themselves. Um, and the problem with anime individualism is the same problem with uh, most, indi- I don't want to call out any um, egoists in in the audience, but the problem with most individualism is that because you focus entirely on individuals, you are unable to fix the problems that got us in- here in the first place, right? If everyone, if we didn't fix like capitalism, if we didn't fix the state, we didn't fix any of the problems that were wrong with society, and we just said, as long as people take care of themselves, there can be no corruption because there are no groups. Well, then, just the most powerful people will go back to doing all of the things that they do now, right? There's no such thing. Collectives, we need to band together to like beat other people. And finally, coming back to Darwin's game. Uh, it's the same kind of ideology that I think uh, tints a little bit uh, the show. Mm-hmm. There's still there's still this idea that we can't that um, groups are not even the okay groups are the thing, but like I'm talking about like larger groups are like not quite the thing that we should be focusing on, and we should instead focus on like personal relationships and like doing what's best for the people close to us. And that kind of, um, that seems like an ideologically neutral stance, but it's like not when you take it into the context of, uh, when you take it in the context of like material analysis. I think that's as good a time as any to segue into talking about the seasonal anime that we have been watching right now. Unlike, uh, unlike our Darwin's Game segment, uh, this is going to be mostly spoiler free, so don't worry too much about it. But if you're really, 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 really just... I, I, okay, out of context. I'm going to tell them that you can skip to the end if you don't want any knowledge at all about anything. Okay. So unlike our Darwin's Game segment, uh, this is going to be relatively spoiler-free. However, if you don't want to know anything at all about any of the Fall 2020 anime, I would just uh, skip to the time code here. So, um, anime number one. I have... Anime number zero. I have uh, more anime that I'm keeping track of this season than last season. But the frustrating thing is there are less good anime this season than last season. And that's kind of... <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do about it. I think I might just... I might just have to, like, drop things. So anime number one is uh, Hypnosis Mike Division Rap Battle. Uh, the setting for this show is some of the some of the the technical term here is the wildest fucking shit i've ever seen right we have um 
we have uh after a the the peak of um anime settings um after a world war um there is an all female um fascist um party called the party of words uh that um announces a coup d'etat on the country of Japan and then it says um we are destroying all weapons and we are replacing them with microphones that have various um adverse effects to them um and then it ethnostates the men as in no it doesn't ethnostate the men it apartheids the men sorry for technical terms here but it apartheids the men in which they all just live in like these ghettos in the cities and um various gangs of like mic armed uh 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 men fight each other for like control and dominance in these divisions that's why they're called division rap battle and the fascist party um picks out the best rappers from all of the divisions to compete in a rap battle tournament it <sighs> <laughs> the songs are really good. That's the thing. It, the entire show, um, when you watch it, you kind of realize that it doesn't want you to pay attention to any of that. It just wants you to pay attention to like how cute all the boys are and how like cool all the songs are. And the boys are cute. And the songs are good. So you're just kind of sitting there being like, what is this? Why was it made? Why am I here? Yeah, it's one of those, um, as Rago was saying, like, in which the 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 politics of the show kind of affects, uh, I think, the quality of it a little bit in that um, if, if the show didn't have all this weird and distracting, like, as, like, gender essentialist nonsense going on around it, in which we kind of say that, like, men are inherently violent and, like, women can if women were like in charge and kept all the oppressive systems of power, but just like made men less inherently violent, the world would be a better place. If it didn't have all of that, it would just be like a, like a fun and like, I think fun, but like strange concepts, but like having that in every once in a while, I think kind of, uh, bring distracts the show from what it wants to be. Well, it does a couple of things. One Imagine how much better the show it would be if women were rapping in the show. Two, epic. Imagine how much epic. better the show would be if we talked about trans people at all. Like, it's not strictly necessary, but imagine what the show is already saying about trans people um, mm -hmm. and non-binary people, right? People who don't conform to their respective genders, and maybe it'll do something. But third, and I think more interesting, is unless the show actively goes for a fascist coup, imagine how easy it is to just subtly create an acceptance of an authoritarian state if it looks nice. And this is a lot of the way in which real authoritarian states take power. And yes, Raghava is the no fun. You can't have, you can't enjoy anything except I'm not really. You can enjoy hypnosis like this, fine. I quite like it. But it's very fun. It's still important to acknowledge these sort of political implications from it, like political implications that really didn't need to be there, and that if they weren't there, would improve other parts of the show, because they are a part of what is, in a sense, holding the show back. Hypnosis Mike apparently has like a 
like an underground meme and enthusiast community and um i'm to be honest i'm pretty happy for the hypnosis mike fans i've seen i've seen some of the i've seen some of like the vines and shit on youtube and i'm just like (laughs) okay y'all do you what a i think if anything else it's one of the one of the most interesting i can't i can't even say if the show's good or bad but just one of the most interesting experiences i would even if it doesn't even if you think it's not for you I would recommend just watching the first episode just so that you can say I've watched an episode of Hypnosis Mike. You'll get like you'll get like a little badge, we'll get a little award, we'll ship it to you in the mail. <laughs> I, I wanna be a little bit careful with how we word this, just because like Japan in and of itself does have its like own hip hop subculture that like has its own history. Um and we should respect that. However, like one was definitely like affected by the other, right? And so it is a little bit jarring, I think, to see like a lot of signifiers that would be um, usually ascribed to like um, like black culture and like black resistance to the state and capital. I would even say like that would be ascribed to anti-authoritarianism used in service of authoritarianism. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's a really weird, there's a really weird relationship going on. But we will just, we will never get to it. We'll just, we'll just have the cute boys rapping. (laughs) Right. And again, this is an instance of an anime refusing to, well, if it continues to refuse to talk about its political undertones, this will sort of be like the natural byproduct of that. Mm Mm-hmm is that like those political undertones will really get a second examination. All right. On to the next one. Uh, I'm going to talk about Talentless Nana. Um, uh, speaking of fascism. I have very little nice to say about Talentless Nana. The first episode is boring for 20 minutes, and then there is a twist that could maybe be interesting and then the second episode is fascist very fascist now i have read the entire manga and it does eventually stop doing a fascism that being said just because when i read the manga i was so happy that it stops doing a fascism that i was almost convinced the manga was good for a moment doesn't mean the anime too will be good or that the manga was good at all the most i have nice to say about the manga is that when it stops doing a fascism it actually brings up some compelling points, but it doesn't stop doing a fascism anytime soon. The anime will probably just be fascist the entire time, and it's boring, and it's lazily written, and I would like to move on. That's... I don't have anything to add to that. Uh... Alright. <laughs> on to the next one, which is Burn the Witch by Taite Kubo. Uh, I don't think you... You still haven't seen it, right? You still haven't seen it, but you can talk about it. Um, so, Burn the Witch... Uh, while we're on, I guess, the theme of uh, how politics affects writing, uh, Burn the Witch is a show that has a lot of like political potential in it, but then it does nothing with it. Like, okay, uh, there are, for example... In nothing, the yet. nothing yet. Nothing yet. Taite Kubo, my fucking man. <laughs> we believe in you. Um for example, again, this is mostly spoiler-free. 
um, the uh, setting in which uh, all these characters are in um, is basically like a reverse version of London where magic is everywhere um, and there are all these dragons that need to be uh, that need to be controlled and tamed for the good of humanity um, and the the setting is basically a corporatocracy in which there is a massive corporation that also acts that whose board of directors also acts like a government and also decides where citizens go um what they can uh, how freely they can express themselves whether or not they live or die they can just send out execution orders whoever they want um there is a member of the board who is just a nazi like she just she she has like the ss symbol on her she just like exists as a nazi <laughs> um there's there's a lot of question about like um the various like group different types of people and how they like relate to the dragons and and there's also a whole relationship between the two main characters um uh, one of them is uh very interested in like climbing i guess what would be considered the corporate ladder in her dragon catching profession and the other one is much more laid back much more just wants to um survive and be with the people she cares about and so like all of that is there but it focuses on none of that it, it, it does deliver a very tight very compelling story w in which you like all of the characters but none of the ideas that could have been really interesting are it's surprisingly apolitical for a show that has so much politics in it um i want to move from talking about burn the witch to talking about a, another show that um, is really interesting but sort of falls a bit flat because it doesn't talk about its politics. Bleach. Uh, Bleach is by the same person who made Burn the Witch, Taite Kubo. So let's start. Bleach is about soul eaters, and the first major arc of Bleach is when the main protagonist's friend, Rukia, is taken by the Soul Society, and she's going to be executed for no fault of her own. And a lot of the sh uh, beginning of the show is about coping with that. And it's really interesting to see the political implications where it turns out at the end of it that fighting the, the Soul Society, that like countering what the Soul Society is trying to do was not only good but necessary because the problem with the rigidly hierarchical society is that any bad actor can subvert it and take control of it that's what happens and it's really interesting to see bleach do that right and then it just never does it again <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like bleach come on please you're <laughs> it, it it definitely does seem um burn the witch uh it kind of only exists this is kind of a mean thing to say but it kind of only exists because um it's announcing i'm not sure because i haven't read or watched bleach but it's like announcing like the next bleach um and so um taite kubo he was given kind of free reign to like write whatever story he wanted um as like a hey guys while we're getting bleach ready check out this other story um sort of thing and like even like a lot of the advertisement of Burn the Witch also references Bleach. So if you if you liked 
I guess, the feel of Bleach, but you kind of, you're maybe like, uh, the actual writing or storytelling doesn't really work out. Uh, same author, same sort of general vibe, uh, same kind of, uh, same kind of spirit, but just, I think, with a lot more experience, and I think a character and setting that people will really fall in love with. We can trash our last crusade. It's just politically terrible and also narratively terrible. See, these two are basically half and Yeah, it's um, our last crusade is a, a fantasy science fantasy romance um taken place that takes place in some faraway land where uh the empire, which is a um, technologically advanced uh, superpower, um wants to hunt down and kill witches who are a magically inclined uh, racial minority. And then there's a, uh, another uh, there's another country filled with the witches who are, I guess, fighting a war for self-determination and the end of oppression of witches everywhere. And uh, on both sides of the battlefield, um, a very talented commander who is uh, definitely not just Kirito from Sword Art Online. Nope. No, ignore the black hair. Ignore the, the dual swords. He's not not Kirito. Um <laughs> He meets up uh, uh, with uh, a very beautiful woman from the witch's side, and they instantly fall in love in the most uh, cliche, um, trite, trope-ridden, uh, garbage way possible. Um, none of the characters are interesting or good. Um, there's fan service, but like the kind of fan service where it's like this character exists for fan service. There's just it kind of feels like we have like a special setting to be special but then all the all the pieces are just like widgets like cogs in the machine that is the standard um romance anime uh uh plot line it's just it is so unbelievably exhausting our last crusade and the flaws of centrism where it turns out that both the fascist empire who is trying to kill all the witches and the witches, who also kill some of the fascist imperials, are both bad, it turns out. And yeah, they're, they're both to... equally responsible for the war because they're both being too emotional about it. And they can't rationally realize that they need to stop. Both sides need to stop the fighting. It's Our last crusade is bad, folks. It kind of reminds me a little bit of like nonsense reactionaries when they talk about Israel-Palestine. And they're like... Both sides need to stop. There's just so much anger on both sides where it's like one side basically apartheids the other and one side constantly attacks, um, dehumanizes, belittles, um, kills, um, dehouses the other side and the other side is pissed about that and you try to say that these things are real. It's just... One side has the backing of the US government and the other side does not but it turns out the violence inflicted by both sides are somehow comparable. I suppose so. No. We do not suppose no. that at all. No. 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 Uh, on to the next one. Uh, my favorite. Fucking Taiso Zamurai. Yes. This show. Taiso Zamurai. Just the idea. The idea. There are no even the idea that Mal apparently has this show at a six point seven four is a is a is a fucking it's it's a war crime. Okay, listen, <laughs> it's 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 counter revolutionary behavior. No, I'm kidding. 
<laughs> but seriously, Taiso Zamaran is an amazingly funny and witty show. Um, there is a, there is a, it's about a gymnast uh, who's, who's kind of had an injury and he's a little old. He, he isn't really as good as he used to be. And his days are kind of numbered. And uh, his wife passed away recently. And he has a daughter who he loves uh, very much. And uh, on a trip where he was uh, wanted to spend time with his daughter, um, he meets uh, a samurai who is avoiding deportation by the Japanese government. And the tone of the show is just incredibly lighthearted, incredibly funny. All the characters feel real, but they're also like exaggerated enough so that you just like have a good time. You watch the show and you just kind of want to smile because you're just you're just having so much fun. On the one hand, I think it's it's a little bit difficult to tell um, because the show doesn't really get into like um, anything too too political. But on the other hand, what I will say is that um, does it? it? Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't. But doesn't it? In the sense that it refuses to. Um, be boxed in the kind of tropes that you would expect like for example there's a child's character and you love her because she acts like an actual child like or rather she acts I like i was even going to say that it talks about um uh oh yes which, like what I think we'll That's we'll have not to see a political uh, I think but what I meant by that is that we we still have to see where the show takes that sort of arc but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but even then, like that's interesting because of what it is. Um, All of the characters. What are, else? Is- I, I think the audacity. I think in this day and age, where a lot of shows are basically just about high schoolers and freshmen in college, um, to have like a grown adult with a career and a child as our protagonist is really refreshing. Um, to have it's like yeah. Tiger and Bunny. The show just does a lot, and it is holistically good. And finally, Jujutsu Kaisen. Just, oh yeah, uh, just another another solid show. I I I, I am glad that we. Animation is so good, and it's such a it was such a breath of fresh air to watch Jujutsu Kaisen after watching Talentless Nana. Oh yeah, and just like the dull, boring animation of talentless nana and going into something like jujutsu kaisen which has so much life in it there this is something that i say a lot to to ragava but like sometimes when i like wade through like garbage anime i sort of get complacent i kind of start thinking well you know it's it's not good but like isn't it like sort of not the worst thing maybe this and that blah 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 and then you just watch something that's Ah. like good and you're like oh I don't have to put up with that bullshit. Wait, <laughs> no. Um, Jujutsu Kaisen does a really interesting thing in the second episode, which I really like, um, where it encourages the protagonist to find his own resolve rather than just going along with others. And to bring it back to politics, it's a problem I see a lot in like leftist spaces where and it's like, oh, well, we just need to prescribe it to everyone and everyone just needs to, like, believe this. But at that point, you've fallen into dogmatism. Right. And you've moved away from 
scientific materialism, which is the basis of leftist theory, where we're like, oh, we need to actually critically analyze it. You've fallen into dogmatism. Um, and Jujutsu Kaisen actually sort of pushes back against that sort of mentality when in the second episode it says, you know, don't just accept that you have to collect the fingers of Yomen Sukuna because, you know, your dying grandpa told you to. Don't just accept it because that's what you've been told. You have to actually, like, believe yourself. You have to come to that conclusion yourself. You have to do the analysis yourself and come to that conclusion yourself. Not just to any conclusion, but like a conclusion that is like meaningful to you and that motivates you. Yeah, right. Because otherwise, like, what are you standing on? When someone says, why are you fighting? If you don't have that answer, what are you even doing? Mm -hmm. What will keep you going? What will hold your resolve when someone challenges your beliefs, challenges your ideas? And I think that's really good. Ultimately, it's a, it's a, it's it's a horror, I would say. But like, um, I, I'm. It's a what? A horror. Like a horror. Horror. Like a horror. Oh, okay. I thought you said like horror. It's oh, yeah. It's it's a horror anime, and I I guess not a lot of people know this about me, but like horror is like not really my thing. However, it's a horror anime with like a kind of with a light enough and refreshing tone that it's not just grim dark all of the time. Um, it's like a really unique and like interesting feel that has to the show, and all the characters are like really like fleshed out and well rounded. Even uh, even the ones that we don't see a lot. Um, I think if uh, any of what we said sounds remotely interesting you should definitely check out Jujutsu Kaisen and with that I think we are at our close thank you thanks so much so much for listening to this it has been wild to make not only one but two episodes of a podcast that we said we were going to make amazing we are we're going strong if I can say one thing to all you folks out there, um, make if you have the time and the energy, make the thing you want to make. Absolutely. If there is one thing we must tell you here, it is that there is no such thing as an objective good. And if you put your heart into it, and if you do your best to have the story's politics reflect the politics you believe in, it'll be good. It'll be... It'll be something that you won't have regret writing. Yeah, so uh, we here at the Critical Leap Theory Podcast are 100% in favor of more people doing things, Mm -hmm. more people creating, um, and if you do happen to make something and you think it's really cool, uh, send it to us in our Discord server, uh, whose link will be in the description here. in the comment it'll be wherever it is you happen to be listening to this in case someone further in the future is listening to this the the link to the discord will be somewhere there yeah and i 100 percent encourage you to like drop a link in our discord other than that you can follow us on twitter um so with that um i'm ragava my pronouns are they them and of course there's classic and I'm O'Black, uh, he, him, his. Thank you. And we hope to see you again. Bye.